Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm going to introduce to you a message, but the title of this podcast is called Slowing Down to Be the Beloved. Slowing Down to Be the Beloved. Now, this podcast is part of a larger series that I'm doing uh, through the podcast called Slowing Down you know, for Jesus. So uh, since, since this is a podcast and not a book or a sermon series, you know, I'm moving more like stream of consciousness than a you know, clear, methodical way. I've got this theme of slowing down to be with Jesus uh, and what it means to create a culture like that. Uh, but I began, I began a few weeks ago talking about lessons from the rule of Benedict. Uh, then I moved to lessons from the Desert Fathers and Mothers, part one, and then lessons from the Desert Father Mothers, part two. And today I want to move to slowing down to be the beloved uh, and talk about that in, in Jesus' life and then what it might look like in our lives. And actually, next next week, we're going to go into the life of Jesus and finding our desert rhythms like Jesus. And then I'm going to actually move into Elijah the prophet and his desert rhythms of, of being and doing. So, so fascinating. So uh, this text uh, of this message you're going to hear in just a few minutes uh, comes out of Mark chapter 1, uh, when in verse 9 and 10, Jesus is coming up out of the water, and he sees heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And then as you all know, at once the spirit sends him, actually the word that drives him into the wilderness uh, for 40 days to be tempted uh, by Satan. And so the, the goal of what we're talking about today is, is what it looks like to slow down, slow down to actually experience being, uh, experiencing being beloved, being loved by God himself and living there. Because if I can live there as a leader like Jesus, then when I'm dealing with temptations and beasts and warfare and all the pressure of leadership that comes with it, and what Jesus was about to confront uh, with the Satan himself in the wilderness, uh, we're able to, to move there into that very differently. Uh, it has just such enormous implications to live being beloved by God. So we like to say in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, what you do matters but who you are matters even more. Or another way of saying it is who you are is much more important than what you do. It just permeates everything you do. And you will hear in this message a quote by Parker Palmer that goes like this. If, if we skimp on our inner work, our outer work will suffer as well. If, you, if we skimp on our inner work, our outer work will suffer as well. And this is really like learning a, a second language. And, and so the context of Mark uh, is... Uh, the the book of of uh, the Gospel of Mark is really about a people under Nero, and if you, you read this in William Lane's commentary uh, on Mark, uh, where he talks about the context of Mark, written between probably sixty five and seventy A.D. It's a time of crisis uh, for the Christians in Rome. Uh, Nero, at this point, as the emperor has gone insane, and when that disastrous fire sweeps through Rome in sixty four A.D., uh, the fire raged unchecked. For more than a week because of strong winds, etc. Then it broke out a second time. And of the 14 regions of the city, or wards of the city as they were called at that time, 10 were severely damaged. Three regions were completely reduced to ashes and rubble. And that's more than two-thirds of a city of a million people. So rumors spread that at first that Nero set the fire. But finally, Nero put the blame on Christians. And so he you know, great persecution was unleashed on Christians. They were dressed in wild animal skins and torn to pieces by wild dogs. And they were crucified, made into torches uh, after dark to be put in his Roman gardens in the circus. And so for a time in Rome to be a Christian 
meant arrest and death. Uh, and that's what that, and the church was facing that context when the Gospel of Mark uh, was written. And so I, what I love about that, it gives a context for this passage in Mark when he talks about Jesus being tempted uh, by beasts in the wilderness and by the evil one, because that's exactly what the Roman Christians were experiencing. And that's exactly what it means to lead for Jesus in our day, uh, to be a pastor, to be a leader. There is enormous pressure coming against us, not just the normal circumstances of life, but I'm talking about powers and principalities as well. And so I'm good at being the beloved if everything's going great. I'm not so good at being the beloved and living in that space when everything's going really bad. And what the Gospel of Mark's about is trying to move us into a discipleship that we live the gospel, we live out of love of Jesus, that you are the beloved, uh, so that we make decisions and walk in a way that breathes life to the world around us and, and not death. Because remember, EH discipleship, we're talking about a, bringing a culture to our churches, and part of that culture is a slow-down spirituality where the rhythms and pace of our personal lives are slower and more deliberate, and we operate with a doing for Jesus that flows out of a being with Jesus. And, and we're communing with Jesus and being transformed by him uh, daily through scripture, through silence, through stillness. Uh, we're viewing prayer as a lifestyle of loving communion with him. We're spending time in silence, solitude. We're, we're discerning his will. Uh, and we're making radical, intentional life choices um, to cultivate our personal relationship with Jesus and to live in that belovedness rather than live off the spirituality of others. And, and we, we, we live in a firm, a, a theology of delight. And, and so this issue of a slow down spirituality, uh, we read very quickly through that verse when, when heaven's open and says, you are my beloved son. But that verse, friends, is filled and pregnant with meaning for you and for myself, uh, especially today in the 21st century. So God bless you as you listen to this uh, sermon. Uh, again, let me invite you to uh, sign up for one of our trainings to bring the culture of emotional and discipleship to your church, to your ministry. Every month I do a live stream training online. You can check it up on our website, on our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash, you know, get trained. So here it is, slowing down to be the beloved, a message that I trust you will enjoy. Take it away. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you you need a Bible, raise your hand. So it's Mark chapter 1. And we're beginning today a series, uh, kind of a jump around through the the gospel of Mark. And we're calling it Marks of the Kingdom. And uh, today I want to launch it with with a message on learning to be the beloved. And I want to begin with a story, uh, a true story, about a a, a photographer, photojournalist that some of you may know his name. His name is Jim uh, Brandenburg. And uh, internationally acclaimed, uh, famous for his photos and images that have been in you know magazines like National Geographic for, for decades. And at one point in his career, about 15 years ago, uh, he, he found himself exhausted. He was tired of the deadlines, at the deadlines, exhausted from traveling around the world, shooting you know tens of thousands of shots. And he'd lost his passion and his zeal for why he got into photography in the first place. And he remarks about how he just had too many things coming at him, and his life was was cluttered. And so he found himself, you know, desperate to revive his passion, you know, for photography. And uh, so he, he came. He decided to do a a ninety day project, and, and that is that that he would limit himself to instead of taking thousands of photos a day, uh, he would take one 
shot, one photo shot per day, one click of the shutter. And he would do it from the first day of fall to the first day of winter. And uh, again, normally in a day in a photo shoot, he would take hundreds if not thousands of shots and then sort through them, these images. But this decision to just take one shot a day, do you understand, to have to be, to be present walking around, but which shot am I going to take, which photo shot? He says it transformed his whole life in that 90 days. Uh, it slowed him down to what was sacred. In fact, he, he writes about how, it, or he spoke about how it, it took him deeper into, into something spiritual, uh, into, into something mysterious. And he tells a story of, of one day he was uh, outside in the woods from northern Minnesota, and uh, a little a rainstorm had come by, and he, he was on a lake near his house, and this beautiful rainbow came forth uh, you know, over, over the lake. And he was looking at it, you know, thinking about taking a shot of it. And, and then at the same time, he was sitting on a rock, and there was this feather of a raven. He loved feathers and loved ravens. And there's this one feather on a rock. He said that's probably about three billion years old. And, and, and he said, you know, I had a choice to make. You know, which do I shoot? Do I shoot the rainbow, uh, which could easily be sold for good money and be put on a calendar somewhere? Or do I shoot this feather, you know, on a rock? And... Uh, he said, I chose to do something deeper, something a little more quiet, a little more intimate. And, uh, you know, he shot the, the feather of a raven on the rock. And he said, I, I, that 90-day experiment uh, took me out of what was predictable as a photojournalist. It took me out of just living for money, for commercial. And it took me out of what was expected of me as a photographer. And uh, he, he was so impacted by that 90 days. He said, for the rest of my life... Uh, he says his plan is to continue the same project, just taking one photo per day, uh, until he says, I can never photograph again. And uh, so it's no longer a 90-day project. Now, what's interesting about this Jim Brandenburg is that at, when he, this inner work that he did inside of himself, that it got him in touch with something deep inside, and deep inside his soul. And that deep inner work changed his outer work. Okay, as a photographer. And he could have just kept going, right? He could have just gone busy, traveling. He's making a lot of money. Again, world famous. Um, but And pushing through. But inside, his soul was dying. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, uh, and so there's a principle here as we launch into this, into this you know, gospel of Mark. And, and the principle is simply this. It comes out of Parker Palmer. It says, if, we, if people skimp on their inner work, their outer work will suffer as well. That if you skimp or you cheat, if you just kind of slide over it, your inner work, your, your inner soul, what's going on, then your whole life externally is going to be affected. Everything you do and everything you, you touch. And, and so today we're going to we're giving a series of, on the Gospel of Mark. And it's really a book about, you know, doing. Let me just, in fact, this whole book's about explosive doing. Uh, it's only in the first 13 verses here that there's about being. And Mark makes a very important point here about Jesus being before he does, doing inner work before he does outer work. And in fact, this inner work is what forms, informs everything he does externally. Healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000, cleansing lepers, resurrecting from the dead. It's all informed by the fact that he does verses 9 to 11 that we read, read today. And actually, he does verses 1 to 13. So let me just give you a context before I expound on these verses for a second. What's this, what, who, who this book is being written to, the Gospel of Mark, before we read the text. This book was written during Nero, the Emperor's Nero's of the Roman Empire's reign. It was written somewhere between 65 and 70 AD. And Nero was known as an insane emperor. You've probably seen movies or something or heard about him. You know, it's all true and more. 
and so, in fact, he used to do things like, like have people commit suicide at his public feasts, you know, to celebrate. I mean, he's that kind of a guy. And so, but in 64 AD, there was a cataclysmic event in Rome. Uh, a fire broke out that was so massive that it burnt uh, over, it, it burnt down over two thirds of the city. Now, Rome was built, was, has about a, had about a million people at that time. It was broken up into 14 districts. Ten were burned down, three of them totally to ashes. And most of the great, you know, monuments like, you know, the Washington Monument, the White House, the Congress burned to the ground. And they got, it took them a week to get the flames under control. And then once they got under control, someone lit more fires and it went up all over again. And so it was so catastrophic for the city of Rome that people said only someone with Nero's power could have pulled this one off. And it was his insaneness. And so the rumor was that Nero did all this, you know. And so Nero starts all these public service projects to try to feed the homeless, you know. And, you know, he sets up food pantries and things like that. But the rumor persists. And he can't get rid of the rumor. And so he's got to find a scapegoat. And he finally says, okay, that's it. And he decides he's going to blame the Christians. The Christians did it. And so before you know it, a massive uh, persecution of Christians takes place. And Nero, again, being the kind of person he was... He begins to do things like, you know, he uses Christians as torches in his gardens, in the circus. He, he clothed the Christians up with, with um, the skin of, of, of animals, and then he'd sick wild animals on them to, to, to chew them up in public settings, like the Colosseum or, the, or his gardens or the circus. He began to crucify them all over the city. And so basically for the first time, the Christians are under enormous attack. Arrest, crucifixion, persecution. To become a Christian, to go to church, was to get arrested and to possibly get killed. And so the church finds itself in this situation face-to-face with, how do I follow Jesus in this context? And you can imagine, attendance in church was going down. It's in this setting, Mark writes the Gospel of Mark. To believers like you and I sitting in church struggling, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus here? And so, in light of those words, he writes this text we're going to read today. I'm just going to read three verses, Mark, verses 9 to 11. And I want you to read it in the light of whom he's speaking to, okay? In that context. Beginning verse 9, chapter 1 of Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Again, verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this book of Mark is an explosive book. But it's an explosive book that flows out of deep being. Okay, deep being. And uh, the word is this. It's about, it's about your identity. about my identity. And in this, this text here, Jesus, as he's, before he does anything, he gets his identity straight. He learns to be the beloved of God. Where a, a voice comes from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. And actually, really, the translation is actually literally, you are my beloved son. Some of your, some of your verses say that. It, it's actually a noun. I mean, your identity just is who you are is you are beloved. Where does it, you are, you are loved. You are, uh, it's a word of affection and, and great warmth. It's a word for agape. Because Jesus, this is who you are. Over and against all the voices coming at you. Okay? This is your identity. Now, the question is, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Jesus was to live out the rest of his life based on this knowledge. 
Mark knows that with his readers, they have got to get their identity straight. That they too are the beloved. And if they don't get that straight, they're never going to make it through what's in front of them as they follow Jesus. And uh, so this truth of being the beloved is something, and being loved by God, is something that we circle around to over and over again in our lives. You're in elementary school, who am I? You know, you're trying to figure it out with the kids, you know, and over and against, you know, the young girls at the other desk next door, and then junior high and high school, and then you become a young adult, you're trying to figure out who am I, you know, and identity. Then you become a young adult, and you hit the workforce, and you're trying to sort that out, you know, who am I? And then you get to the middle age, you know, in your 30s, and your 40s, and 50s, and you get older, and, and this issue of identity, and who am I is, a, is an issue that we must return to over and over and over again and deepen in our lives so that we can go outward and do the work and live the life that God's called us to live that's free and we can reject all the world's voices that are coming at us. Now, I want you to catch the context here. It starts in, in, in verse nine, in verse 10 where, uh, because, because you see, just like Mark's readers in Rome, the Christians in Rome, they needed a clear sense of their identity or they weren't going to make it. You too need a clear sense of your identity. Who are you? And who am I? If you're going to make it and be the person God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do. But the text begins in verse 10 where Jesus, you know, very humbly, you know, gets online as John the Baptist is baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. Even though Jesus has no sin, he gets online, you know, and he comes up out of the water. And it says, heaven is torn open. It's a tremendous image. We sit here this morning. Do you understand? Heaven has been torn open. God has come in the person of Jesus. And he's, he, he's, he's lived among us. He's lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, was crucified on your behalf. He shed his blood. He's risen from the dead. God has made a way for forgiveness and cleansing of your life and my life that we now sit here under an open heaven. Heaven's been torn open, everybody. It's an open heaven here. And a voice comes from heaven. And says, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Jesus has done nothing yet. And uh, Jesus' identity is not coming from John the Baptist. His identity is not going to come from the crowds. It's not going to come from his family. It's not going to come from the 12 disciples. His identity is coming from the father himself. You're my son, you know, whom I love. And uh, this is the gospel. We sit here at Christianity like all of, no other world religion. That we're sons and daughters by, by pure grace. That we stand before God in his righteousness, not our own. In the record of Jesus, as if we've lived a perfect life, although we haven't. We, we, we're in Jesus. And those words that are spoken over Jesus are now spoken over you. If you get nothing out of this morning or tonight, hear these words. The words spoken over Jesus. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. If you leave with nothing else tonight, it's this. God's word for you tonight is you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. That is your identity. That is who you are. And your inner work is to claim that as your own. Not just in your head. Like, oh, I believe that. I memorized that verse when I was 12. No, no, no. This truth is to go deep in your being and in your gut and transform you. So that when all hell is coming about you, to pull you out of that, to find your identity in something else, you're able to say, no, get behind me. Because I understand who I am and my identity, you know, in Christ. So there's a number of false counterfeit identities. And they've been summarized by scholars in different ways. And there's really three main categories. And they come out of the temptations of Jesus. 
And what's interesting is the temptations of Jesus are not explained in the Gospel of Mark like they are in Matthew and Luke. As one scholar wrote, because the entire book of Mark, Jesus is battling with the evil one about his identity. The whole book is about him saying no to the voices of the world. And the voice is calling him to be somebody he's not. And him living out of his identity as you are my beloved son. And thus do the father's will. So, so here, here's, the, here's the three classic counterfeit identities. One is, you know, I, I, I am what I do. And in other words, I, I, I get success in life and I, and I feel good. If I do, if I fail, I, I get depressed. You know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a provider, I'm a mom, I'm a, I'm a dad, that's, that's what I do. I'm a social worker, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an investor, I'm a small businessman, I'm a professional. Ah, I'm a pastor, that's who I am, you know. I'm, I'm an A student, I'm a musician, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a good athlete. And what happens, you get into a role, you know, and, 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 and you burn yourself out to kind of this, because my identity gets wrapped up in it. And, and so I, I get very busy to maintain that. Identity. Now, Jim Brandenburg, the, the photographer I mentioned as we began tonight, was a photographer, a photojournalist. And he was world famous, well known for it, lots of expectations that went, went with it. And he made, took photos that sold and made a lot of money. But do you understand, for him to step out of that identity and to begin to discover who he is, really, took tremendous courage and step out of that. The problem is, that when your identity is, I am what I do, that when you fail a test, or you lose that job, or you're unemployed, then you don't know who you are anymore. And one enters into a crisis. It's not till you lose what you're holding, what your identity is, that you realize it was even your identity in the first place. I can't tell you how many people came up to me in the first two services who said, I was crushed when I lost my job and found myself on an unemployment line. And because I didn't know who I was anymore because the foundation got ripped out. You see, it cuts so deep into who we are, this idea of what is my identity, you know, really, who am I? There were, there were so many voices that were pressuring Jesus to live a life that was not his own, that was a counterfeit identity. You are what you do, Jesus, that he just had to reject in order to live his own unique life. And so do we. But the second big counterfeit identity that comes to all of us, and, and I, I actually believe this is the most significant one that comes out of it, is, is I am what other people say. I am what other people say about me. Because I don't know who I am, so you tell me who I am. And so, you know, it's very, this is very difficult because if people speak well of you, then you say, I feel great. I feel great. Everyone's like, super, wonderful. And all of a sudden, people, someone starts saying negative things. You know, you hear 25 positive comments, you hear one negative one. You're depressed. You're crashing. You need some pills. Your whole world crumbles. Well, what's that about? And, 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 you know, you know, when someone talks against us, it might say something about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it cuts very deep, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, John over here. I mean, he's just kind of stupid, you know. He just does some stupid things, doesn't he? You know, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And you, and you hear that. My gosh, and you're, you're, you're not, your day isn't shot. Your month is shot. And we don't realize how deep our identity is in what other people say about us until they actually say something that's negative. And, you know, some of you are going to go home for Thanksgiving or be with family, and Uncle Leo at the table 
is going to say something. And a remark's going to be said at that Thanksgiving table. And you're going to be, it could just wipe you out because it's going to touch who are you and your identity. And it's going to touch that counterfeit identity. And again, when you lose it is when you realize you were holding on to it in the first place. And the third one, third counterfeit identity, it's very common, is I, I am what I have. You know, I am what I, I have, what I, what I, you know, what I own. And, uh, you know, advertisers spend billions that we would find our identity in what we own, right? Buy, you know, all the clothes, the latest, you know, brand names, you know, and, and the latest toys. Buy your iPad, your iTouch, the whole shebang, new technology. And your sense of identity is, you know, I have a girlfriend. Hmm. I got a boyfriend, hmm, you know, I've got, you know, I, I've got a good job. I have that, you know, it's, and, uh, you know, and many people like power, positions of power. It's amazing, you know, and all, all, all types of work, you know, and, you know, many politicians, they like power, they like the control or, 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 you know, employers, you know, a sense of I, I have power you now or people they work for me. And, and, uh, in fact, pastors, we like power too, you know, and, and parents, we like power over kids, you know, I've got that now. We think we have power anyway, you know, and. You know, if you have a lot of money, you got some power of money. People like that feeling. And, and you watch, you know, I, I, you know, certain police officers, you know, they love that siren. You know, they love the power. They can pull you over, you know, and, and talk to you. You know, I pull out my card of my friend. The guy goes to church, you know. I know him, you know. And he says, who cares, you know. Give you a ticket. And, and, and the problem is, you know, you have power. Some people are very beautiful, right, very handsome. And, and so you're, you're, you have good looks. And the problem is you get older. And you start losing what you have there in your beauty. That's why celebrities have such a crisis. You understand? Because the whole culture feeds them a counterfeit identity, and there's nobody inside. And when it gets taken away, you're devastated. And you wonder why they're all kinds of addiction to behavior. It's very challenging because it requires such a solid self to not get caught up in that. But when you get older, and then you lose your beauty, and your plastic surgery now didn't work any longer... And you hit reality, it's very challenging. And one can go into a real nosedive of depression. And so we, we, we slip into this low. And again, we don't realize that this is our identity until we actually lose it. That's why getting older hits us in so many crises. Do you, you understand that, that, that we put a lot of energy to maintain these identities? Tremendous energy. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think. And we're keeping all the thing going. And... Mark knows, and Jesus knows, there is no way you're going to make it in life for God with those counterfeit identities. Do you understand that when you die, they're all going to go? Do you realize, I mean, they all, they all fall, you, you die naked. That's why death, people go screaming at death. I, I've seen many people die at this point. Very few die well. Because when you're not sure who you are, and you're dying, it's a very frightening experience. Because that's not secure. And, and so, Jesus knew who he was. Do you understand? I want you to get to this. In this text here, it's so critical before we go into the rest of Mark. Because it's all about identity. The Father wants to have it established with Jesus. You are my beloved Son. And hear this tonight. The Lord says to you, He wants you to have established who you are. You are not what you do. You are not what other people think. And you are not what you have. The Lord says, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter. And that is His word for you tonight. And you're going to let that go into your being. Not just, oh, it's a nice tech. No, no, no. It is to go into your being. So that when you're at that dinner table or Thanksgiving and Uncle Leo makes that remark, you're like, I'm going to talk to Uncle Leo, I think, after dinner. <laughs> but you're not devastated. Your day is not shot. Do you understand? Because, because you know who you are. I am his beloved son. 
And nothing's going to shake that. A comment by Uncle Leo is not going to send me into depression for the rest of the day and ruin Thanksgiving because I knew who I am. And, and, and so people rejected Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. They said very nasty things about Jesus. I mean, they took everything away from him at the end. He died completely naked. But do you understand? He held on to this truth. And you see him in the Gospel of Mark. You'll notice over and over again, he pulls away and, and gets centered again about his identity. This is who I am. Don't worry about all this going on outside. And he lives out the Father's unique path for him. Do you understand? Try to imagine these Christians in Rome. What it was going to mean for them to follow Jesus. Do you understand? They were going to lose their friends and their jobs. Their lives, maybe. If they didn't have their identity established that they were beloved of God. Do you understand? There were they going. And so there's a first thing he establishes with them. Let's get this straight. You are my beloved, says God. That's who you are. Now you go forth and you do the Father's will. Come what may. So hear those words said of Jesus. Hear them over, over you. That the Lord says to you, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, Jeremiah 31. I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. Love that. Or I knit you together in your mother's womb. From all eternity, I saw you and I was knitting you together. Do you understand? Hear that voice that speaks from all eternity. Heaven's been torn open. Friends, we sit here today before an open heaven before God. And that's the gospel. And that knowledge of the truth that you are my beloved, says God, that knowledge needs to be nurtured. It needs to be, to grow until it cuts into the depth of your being. So you know what? Until slowly it actually becomes your identity. Who am I? I'm his beloved son. Who am I? I'm his beloved daughter. That's who I am. I'm beloved. Loved. You know, by the father. And I'm his son or I'm his daughter. So you know what? Your boyfriend breaks up with you or your girlfriend breaks up with you. And you find yourself all alone. Well, you know what? God says, you are my beloved. Hey, you know what? You lose your job. You send your resume out to 400 people. Nobody even gives you a phone call. You feel like, what am I, worthless? God says to you, you are my beloved. You're sick physically. All of a sudden, it's like you're needy. People are taking care of you. You're not contributing anything. You feel like, what a loser I am. God says, you are my beloved. You know, you're a friend of yours that's been close to you begins to, for some reason, pull away from you and begins to say some negative things about you. And they're hurtful. And you feel betrayed. And God says to you, remember, you are my beloved. You know what? You're lonely and you're married and your heart aches. And the Lord says to you, remember, you are my beloved. You know, you're a perfectionist. And you, keep, you have to get an A and you, or you've got to be the top of your, you know, your game at work all the time. And so you, you're killing yourself. You say, why am I doing this? And God says, get a B. You are my beloved. You're my beloved. And maybe you went for work this end of the year and you got your annual review and you were hoping for all gold stars, you know. And, and you got your annual review from your supervisor and you're like, oh, mediocre over here, mediocre over there. And God says to you, you are my beloved. That's who you are. Don't let this take you for a nosedive. Learn from it. You know, Merton... You know, Merton, and you know, it's interesting, so many writers through history have written about this counterfeit identities and what it means to be, uh, know who I am, you know, as the beloved. 
and Merton's got this great essay on this theme. And he writes this. He goes, I love to clothe myself in a false self. Because what happens is we, we, these are all false selves. They're not really who we really are. He says, I clothe myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself visible to myself and to the world. But there is no substance to these things with which I am clothed. I'm hollow. And when they're gone, there will be nothing left but my own nakedness and emptiness and hollowness. And so many of us, we spend our lives with, with a false self, right? I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to project, I am, you know, I'm these things. I am what I, what you think of me and what I own and what I have. And, and it's exhausting, actually. And, and you find I realize it's all empty. It's not really truly who I am on the inside because I'm afraid of that. You see, if you can claim, if you can take hold of your true identity, you actually are able to love other people. You're free. You're free to give love. You're not, you don't need to use them to tell you who you are anymore. You can actually give a gift to people because you're not using them. You're not taking from them. You're actually giving them a gift of love. You know, again, uh, you're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. But if people skimp on their inner work, but you've got to do your inner work. If you skimp on this and you start doing in life and you're going out there, your outer work will suffer as well. But you can't read the gospel and watch Jesus' life without knowing about verses 9 to 11. What happens here about his identity, about his inner work that he does for 30 years and he hears from the Father. See, our goal for you at New Life, I don't know why you're here. Great worship. A lot of things are wonderful at New Life. Great community. But our goal is to slow you down. Our whole you know, rule of life, our way of life, everything we're doing is to slow you down so that you might know that you are beloved. To slow you down so actually... You claim your belovedness. You live your life out of it. That you would do the inner work to have an outer life that actually has power to it. Because we know that there is no, no matter what your profession or training might be, no matter your gifts and talents that God may have given you, that unless you do this inner journey first, you're just another religious person out there. And there's no power coming forth. The power of Jesus flowed out of this. You can get through for, you know, Think about learning a second language, because some of you learned, you say, I, I, I had it, that I, I'm his beloved, I'm loved by God. It used, it used to, to grit me, but it's like learning a second language. Maybe you knew it years ago, but if you don't practice that language that you learned, I learned Spanish many years ago, and I kind of wasn't using it for a number of years, I'm kind of coming back to it now. But when you don't practice your second language, you lose it. Well, the same way with this, when you don't live continually, and this outpouring of God's love under an open heaven and open his life pouring out, you lose it. And before you know it, you're living like everybody else, like this false self, like I am what you think of me or what I have or what I do. And it's amazing how these other voices from the world begin to pull you out. And you're living a life that say, how did I get into this? I, I never wanted to be this kind of a person. All of a sudden, I, I left my center of my identity of who I am, that I am his beloved. Whom he loves. You know, when I think about this and what it, because I, 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 I'll confess to you, I, I sometimes skimp or cheat on my own inner work because it takes time. The world isn't doing a lot of inner work. And, but here's what it looks like for me when I'm not. I go home. This happened to me actually this past week. And, uh, and I'm not present. I'm not really there. And uh, so one of my daughters recently was asking us for some advice uh, about some decisions she had to make. And I, because I wasn't really present, I was just, you know, my mind's going, you know. And, 
And so I did the classic, I like to call it, I did unconscious violence to her by giving her advice that she really wasn't asking for about the decision I thought she should make, the decision I wanted her to make because it fitted with my agenda, my, the mold I have for her life. And so she's like, you know, basically get lost. You know, like it was a disaster, you know. And my wife is there. My wife was in a better place. And, and Jerry just starts asking her questions, you know, and helping her kind of hear God for herself, you know. And, but, and I'm like, and by the time Jerry finishes, she goes, oh, mom, that was wonderful. I'm like, gee whiz, you know. <laughs> but but I, I really caught that when I'm not doing my inner work, I really, I can do unconscious violence to people I love by trying to control their lives. I'm not even aware of it because I want them to conform to my image of what they should be. I mean, then I think about going, I come to the office here, you know, at work at New Life. And, and uh, when I'm skimping on my own inner work, I basically come and I do a lot of tasks. I'm going through meetings. I don't see anybody. In fact, I don't even know who's in the meeting. I don't even care because we're reaching goals and objectives here. We're making something happen. I'm not asking how are you because I don't even see a you. Versus coming in from a place that's prayerful, and I've done it right, of where I've done my inner work and actually having been thoughtful and prayerful and present and seeing people and actually not using people and how are you and connecting with human beings. It's a very different way of leading and uh, coming into an office. I know, you know what it's like to come to church here and not be, and you've not done your inner work? Maybe you're coming here today and you're like, you don't see anybody. You're like, shh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm all over, you know. And I can come in here, same thing. I've got a lot of my, my head. And, and so I come in and so I'm just going through the motions. I'm preaching a sermon, but you know what I'm thinking about? How am I doing? Pam, Rich, how am I doing? You know, you know, so, so I, I'm not sure I'm beloved. So I need you to tell me I'm beloved. All right. Pete, good tie. Nice tie you picked out today. And uh, I'm really not here living out of I'm the beloved. And I'm not living out of the fact that you're the beloved. I've just, I've skimped on my inner work. So I'm preaching maybe the same sermon, but it's not coming out the same. Do you understand? It doesn't have the same quality to it because I skipped my inner work. And I just went out and started doing. There's a very famous story. It comes out of fourth century China. It's called the woodcarver story. It's a great story. And it's about a woodcarver who was asked by a famous prince to make a bell stand for the village. And to, to, to hold their most precious bell. And so the woodcarver or the carpenter goes and he makes his bell stand. And he presents it to the prince and, and the village. And, and the place goes wild. It was so magnificent. Uh, the, the people in the village said, this can't possibly be your bell stand that you made. Because it's too magnificent. It must be the work that you're in collusion with evil spirits. And, and so the, the woodcarver or the carpenter, he takes this moment to, to teach them something. And, and, he doesn't, he, and he starts to tell them, he goes, listen, he doesn't talk to them about the tools that he used. Well, I didn't make this bell stand because I used, you know, the number seven chisel. And, you know, I used this tool over here and that tool and these techniques, you know, to, to make this bell stand. He doesn't talk at all about the techniques. All he talks about, he goes, he, he begins to tell them about the work he did before the work. He tells them about the inner journey that he took to get free from all of his fears. It's fascinating. And, and he writes, and I'll just give you a little section of it. He goes, you know, I, I fasted, in his case he fasted, in order to set my head at rest because he was full of anxiety and fear. 
And he goes, and after three days of fasting, I forgot about gain and success. I didn't care anymore. After five days, I'd forgotten praise or criticism. And he goes on, by this time, all thoughts of the king had faded away. I wasn't afraid of him anymore either. Wasn't even thinking about him. And he goes, all that might distract me from the work, he says, had vanished. At that point, he says, I went into the forest, and some of you are artists here, and you know what that's like. He's looking at different trees, and he gave that whole Michelangelo quote. He goes, I saw the tree, and he goes, my collected spirit, my centeredness, encountered the hidden potential of a wood, and I saw the bell stand. And then I cut that tree, and boom, it came. But his point was that the outer work flowed out of his inner work. It's a powerful story. And this is Jesus in Mark 1. You are my beloved son. That his power flowed out of this identity and this inner work that he did before he uttered his first word. And that's why it had the kind of power it did. You see, I can only give a gift to other people that I possess. And as much as I possess it. How can you give a gift of their belovedness if you don't have it yourself? Do you understand? If you're all scattered, you may be doing the right thing, but you cannot give what you do not possess. And that's why this message title is, is learning to be the beloved, because if you will be the beloved of God, everything else will flow with great power. And my own stage of life, I realized this truth of you are my beloved son, or in your case, maybe you are my beloved daughter, I recognize in my own journey that I'm, st- you know, truth spiraled down right in depth. And I realized, wow, God is taking me to a new depth of my own identity of who I am. So I have the courage to follow him wherever he goes. And that if I don't do this inner work, the rest of the next, if God gives me 10, 20, 30, 40 years, are going to look very different. But if I'll do the inner work, the outer work is going to be very different than it will be if I don't. And I recognize God's calling in my own life to go the next stage deeper. And I believe thus it probably applies to all of us in this room. To drill down and learn a simple truth on a level that maybe we've never understood it before. It's amazing about biblical truth, isn't it? Things that are so simple become much more profound over the years. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And so here's what I'd like us to do today. God is calling you to be the beloved and me. But most of us go through life oblivious to God's loving presence. We're not even thinking about it. We're living, we're not paying attention to his constant outpouring of his love to us. The open heaven. We don't even see the open heaven. We're just kind of going along doing the outer work. So this must be experienced. It must be, so we got to encounter what are practices that enable me to experience that I'm the beloved. Now, it's going to be different for each one of us. There are certain classic ones. You know, obviously for the photographer, Brandenburg, you know, for him, it was just choosing to do one, making a limit of one photo shot a day so he would be forced to be the, watch the sacred in life. You know, for others of us, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's cooking slow. It's, it's the lighting and Sabbath. It's, it's music. I, it's art. I mean, it could be many different things, but I know one foundational discipline or one foundational means, but I don't know, I don't know any way to get around this one. And that is to be before God in silence. Receiving his love that I am the beloved. And so what I'd like to do today, and don't get nervous, is we're going to do an exercise together of five minutes of silence. I'm going to lead you into it. I'm going to guide you in it. 
And we're going to sit before the Father in his presence and do nothing. We're going to practice the mode of non-doing. Because, you see, heaven is open. And the Lord speaks over you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And your part and my part is to stop and make space for God, to pay attention. And the key is that we don't turn away from those quiet places where we hear that voice. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You have to work hard at not doing. It's actually an active thing to do nothing. You've got to practice it. You've got to tune yourself to it. No one can do it for you. For this truth to get in you, I can't preach it into you. It's like food. You have to chew and swallow your own food. In the same way, to be the beloved and to position yourself like Jesus does in this text, to receive from the Father his love, which is the core of the whole Christian life. It's the core of your existence as you are the beloved. I don't know who you may think you are. You are the beloved. That is the core of who you are. It's our choice to position ourselves that we might receive that. So it's not a passive process. It's going to take some energy. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask you to sit erect, not too slouchy. So just let me just in your chair here. Now, it's interesting because all world religions, you know, talk about breath and silence. And uh, But what makes silence, I mean, God created silence, right? It's his creation. But what makes silence different for us is that we are silent before the Lord's presence. We're still before an open heaven that's been torn open, that's been split open on our behalf through Jesus Christ who died for us. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And, uh, but I want you to be present. Now, you'll see a little picture here, and it may help you. You know, just a visual. You know, you are my beloved son. Again, your identity. The identity. Who am I? You are my beloved daughter. And I'm going to invite you to, right now, just look at the picture. You know, get the picture in your head. And, you know, it's interesting because this whole idea of breath, what I do, because our mind wanders, doesn't it? We find ourselves distracted. We're thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, I wonder if they got that hamburger at Pop's Diner. Like, you know, I just, you're thinking about food and thinking about tomorrow. I got my, I've got all this work to do. And you know, I'm going, you're thinking about all oh, this afternoon, you know, Jerry's mad at me and I shouldn't have made that remark. And your mind's just all over, right? It's just when you're silent, it just crashes in. And so what I do, and many people have different things. I find it works for you. What, what I do is I, I do go to my breath. And uh, I mean, just take a moment right now and just, you know, you breathe in. Be aware of the breath, because your breath is the life of God inside of you. You, know, you breathe in, and when I breathe in, I, I breathe in the love of God. You know? And just take in the love of God for you. You, know, you are my beloved son. And then as you breathe out, you, you exhale all in you that's not of God. You know, you think of, you, we exhale carbon monoxide, but like you're exhaling all that in your being that's not of him. Just, and and it, when I get off, I anchor myself back in that. It's very helpful. So uh, maybe it'll help you. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to actually, for about five minutes, uh, oh, we have our bell. Good, not yet. Not yet cause, yeah, good, good. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to ring a bell, and, uh, and we're going to go into five minutes of silence. And then we'll, then the worship team will come back up here, and we're going to worship together. So I invite you to, to right now just close your eyes before God, before we begin. And I want to invite you to really accept the challenge to still your body. You know, get comfortable with your feet on the ground, and maybe your hands, if you like, upward posture towards heaven, open to the Father. And we're going to set aside our usual mode of constant doing. We're not going to do. 
We're going to switch. And we're going to be. Non-doing. A mode of simply being. This is going to slow time down. And as we allow our bodies to be still, let's give our attention to the fact that we're breathing. At the core of your existence, as you breathe in, is that you are his beloved. Breathe in his love. Breathe out all that's not of him. And just be aware of the moment as a breath fills your body, is love, and exhaling out, it leaves your body. And as you get preoccupied or absorbed or distracted or anxious or reactive, just use your breath maybe to anchor you back. Uh, you may want to use the open your eyes for a moment, look at the picture. Or you may want to just meditate on that verse and hear the words of the Lord, you know, God, that I am your beloved son. And just let those words, just meditate on the word beloved and take that in. I'm loved. Hear God's voice deeply. So let's begin. Well done. Open your eyes. Stand up with me for a moment. Let's try to imagine. That's no small feat. All right. Congratulations. In Western culture, to have five minutes of silence in a church. Try to imagine with me how your outer life might be different if you really claim that truth for yourself that you are beloved from God the Father. How different might be your life? What you might do externally? Try to imagine it for a moment. How different. So let's sing together the wonderful words of a song. Put the words up if you could, you know, and Peter will lead us. And just let these words wash over you and join in as you're able. Wow. Just let those words just sink in. All right. This isn't a cheap love or a cheap open heaven that's been torn for us. This this, this costs the very blood of Jesus. We might stand here today. Look at us. I mean, who deserves such a such a love that, that surpasses knowledge? So as we close here, we've got the Lord's table to your right that I invite you to come and eat and drink and, and take of Christ and his love into your being. All right, you'll dip the bread in the cup and take of him. And our prayer teams are going to come to your left. And the worship team will stay here singing. Who are you? I mean, so many of us are carrying around shame and guilt. That our heads are bowed down and just shame about we've messed up and we're on plan B. And self-hatred and self-rejection and, and, and fears. And, and, and God is just coming to you and coming to me today because God has something great for you. And he wants you to, to enter this inner journey of receiving his, your real identity that you are his beloved son and daughter. He died for you and he's risen. His hand's upon you. But it's your choice to receive it. And so you may be here today and you're not even a follower of Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with him and God brought you here today. Please don't run out the door. You come forward and, and receive Christ. Let his love just fill you and cleanse you from your sin. You know, it's interesting, the verse before this. Where, where John the Baptist says, I baptize, baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is an unleashing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus does. 
as we receive him. It's like a, it's a baptism. It's a river. It's a flood. And it washes you. So you might have a revelation of this truth we're talking about today. That you are beloved friends. That takes God to grasp it. So as we close here. You're in shame, guilt, fear, far from God, all mixed up your identities and what you do and what people think, and you realize you're all twisted. Please come. Let us pray for you. Let God set you free. Let the Holy Spirit grant you a fresh flow of freedom this day and give you a new heart and cut chains off you. So please come. Don't run out of here. Our prayer teams will stay, anoint you with oil for as long as it takes. All right, so... As we close here, I invite you to, if you'd like, to put your hands up towards heaven to receive. As we stand before God, who are we? The Lord looks at you and he knits you together in your mother's womb with life. It pulsates through you. So receive a blessing from him as we close our service together. May God's face shine upon you. And may your eyes be open and your heart enlarged that you may grasp the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that has a breadth and a width and a height and a depth that surpasses knowledge. That you may grasp it, that this is the core of your existence, that you are beloved of the Father. And may those words fill your being, fill your soul as you leave this place and embark on an outer journey into the world tonight and tomorrow. And may you give a gift to the world out of a gift that you've received tonight. So be blessed as you go in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.